joining you live from my apartment, it's Rob has a podcast, and now he is the guy that they call the Say Love You Bay Kid, Rob Sesternino. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our amazing race finale. Oh, my God. I've been waiting all day to talk about this because what an exciting two hours of Amazing Race. I really believe that the Amazing Race 30 saved the best for last with the most electrifying two hours of the season on the season finale. And we will talk about it all first with a woman who uh, maybe, who knows, uh, could still be holding out for an invitation to the Jody wedding. Jessica Lee, Jessica, how are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty great, Rob. I, I would have to say this finale was just plain great. Yes. Oh, you. Oh, you don't think it's as great as I thought. It's just plain, oh, plain great. Is that a pun? Uh sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. And of course, also with us, a, a man who even had the pleasure to talk to all of the Amazing Race teams today as well, Mike Bloom. Yes, thank you. It was a very smashing experience, I must say. Smashing experience. No, just uh, that I'm uh, really, do you feel like that it was just a, a ho-hum finale? Honestly, no. I thought it was one of the more exciting finales um, as far as finales go. Like, I never think the finale, weirdly enough, it builds up. It's supposed to be building up and building up to this, you know, crowning moment where one of the teams wins a million dollars and crosses the finish line first. But I never find the finale to be the most exciting episode. But I would say, like, among finales, this was really well designed. We had a lot of mm-hmm. order switching, which I thought was great. You really, truly did not know who was going to win until you saw a team at the finish line. It really could have been anybody at any point, which is usually not true. Yeah, no, I thought it was really exciting. I feel like that it might have been, uh, I mean, the most exciting of the ones that we've covered. Certainly with the two hours, I felt like that the whole way through, it was really neck and neck. A lot of times you have one team that's really way out in front. And sometimes you have maybe two teams sort of jostling. But to have three teams uh, right there at the end, Mike, I thought that that was uh, really spectacular. Yeah, I was sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop as well, where, you know, one team falls behind on a task and we say, OK, they're out. Henry and Evan are out because of the roadblock. Jody is out because of the fortune cookies. But no, I mean, that final memory task served as a really great equalizer, as memory task should. I know we sort of, I wouldn't say that we, we have sort of strayed away from the memory task. I feel like we've done sort of different takes on them in the past few seasons to sort of keep people on their guard. But I feel like they went back to a, a tried and true one that you would see in, in season 12 or even season 14 with the surfboards. But like you said, even the, the penultimate leg that happened in Hong Kong, Really hard tasks, it just seemed, across the board. And maybe this was also because of the mounting fatigue that was happening, where you could tell, especially with Alex and Connor in particular, there was just, they were in a different mood. And maybe it was because it was a long day of traveling, and they had to, you know, do all this stuff at night instead of getting to rest. But you could really feel the rigors of the race catching up at really the worst times. But, I mean, I would argue that I feel like this back half of the race has really been fire in general, lit up like, uh, you know, the, the roadblock people were when they descended into the Anchorage abyss in San Francisco. Ever since the partner swap, there have been really great legs, really fun teams doing stuff, and overall, really exciting results. Jess, have you been that impressed with the back half of Amazing Race 30? Yeah, it was funny. I was talking today with a friend of mine who's an Amazing Race super fan, um, and he said he felt like this season 
feels like it has been designed by two different people. Like you had one one person designing the course for the first half and another person who is much better at it designing the course for the second half. Interesting. Did you think there was a layoff? So that, does that mean that Connor designed the first half and Alex designed the second half? Is that sort of like the comparison? <laughs> Poor Connor. Yeah. But- you know, we're just kicking him while he's down. Yeah, Connor, uh, that, uh, of course, uh, we have all of the Amazing Race uh, exit interviews up. That was one of the things that uh, came up today. And, of course, uh, I think he posted on social media as well, uh, Jess, that uh, the day after he did the race, uh, that what happened? He got fired from his job? Yeah, that's apparently what happened. He's no longer part of the IndyCar circuit. Um, so now he really is going to have to stay on Alex's couch. <laughs> no, well, no, no, I, he doesn't. He has he has a new place now. I believe Rob and place. I both got the scoop in our interviews. <laughs> yeah, we got the news. <laughs> so, all right, uh, be sure to check out the Amazing Race Exit Interview podcast. That's up on robswebsite.com uh, right now. Scott St. Pierre has already turned all of those around. And of course, uh, Mike Bloom's interviews are available on parade.com. And of course, you could follow Mike on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. Jess, one of the things that we have been especially bad at, I feel like, over the years has been amazing race edgic. I feel like we had it down cold at one point and we seemingly have uh, lost the thread of this. Well, I think Amazing Race Edgic is not quite as straightforward as Survivor Edgic. And a lot of that is just because the story is what the story is. And you can't, like, I think with Survivor, you can engineer a path to somebody winning. And it makes it makes a little more logical sense with the editing. But with Amazing Race, you know, you could have a whole narrative of a team doing a particular way and then they end up losing and it has nothing to do with anything they've done before it. And so I think that's why it's more challenging. And we have been able to tease out, I think in many cases, what the story is for each one of these teams as they're coming in. But I think we really did get blindsided with this one in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I do I think feel it's a like, great I, I'd thing. say it's a good thing. Yeah, because I, I mean, I do, I do see the other side of it. You know, I think we can definitely talk about the reception behind the winners of the Amazing Race, uh, which spoiler alert are Jess and Cody. I don't know why people are listening to this point if they didn't uh, know that beforehand, but just in case. But it's always interesting because I feel like I don't know. I feel like ever since like Amazing Race twenty five, there's always been at least a little bit of backlash to the winner. And maybe it's just because they they feel like, you know, they were blindsided or they felt like the right team, quote unquote, who deserved it, didn't necessarily get the win in the end. Maybe part of that is because, especially the past few seasons, I feel like I agree with you. The editors have done a job of really not necessarily telling a different story, but, you know, giving us some conventional edits. But the team that ends up winning is a little bit more unconventional than some of the winning teams we've seen in Amazing Race past. But I totally agree. I think in terms of, you know, it makes things much less predictable and really makes for a more exciting type of result overall. Yeah. And in terms of Jess and Cody, you know, I really I, I didn't think that they would win. And, and maybe it's just because, you know, I am uh, a victim of that. It's never happened before. I don't want to make victim noises, but that uh, Robin Amber, I felt like that they were right there. And R- Robin Amber felt like that they were so close and they should have won that season. Then to see Brendan and Rachel get so close again, I just thought that a crossover team 
was not going to win it. So I, I never even put myself in the headspace that Justin Cody would be the eventual winners. I just thought, okay, well, they're there. This is like the next thing that they're going to do. But they did pull it off, and I never gave them a chance. And I have to say, you know, I've always been sort of indifferent on Justin Cody. I've, you know, I thought that Cody has been, you know, good TV at times, but I really came around on them by the end of this finale because I really felt like that this story is just so remarkable in terms of what we get in reality TV. It really is this fairy tale. Jess, they didn't know each other a year ago. They come into this Big Brother house. They have this crazy experience. You know, they're both, uh, you know, uh, up on the block. And then, you know, just uh, like, uh, the, you know, Peter, they, uh, Cody's kicked out of the house twice. There's the, they have the, the halting hex. And they know each other for like five days outside of the house. And then they're on the amazing race. And then, you know, that they go out, they win that, and then they have like this nest egg to start this life together. And uh, I think it's a cool story. Yeah, it's it's a very cool story. And I also think I want to give a shout out here uh, to Humby, who tweeted this to yeah. me. Um, he pointed out that the actual arc of the story, like just in a vacuum, without even considering the Big Brother stuff, which I know we do have to come back to this, but Humby points out that the actual story of Jess and Cody on The Amazing Race is that Jess was did not feel like she was contributing to the team. She was letting Cody do the bulk of the weight. He did more roadblocks. He was taking definitely the lead to the point where she even said, I've been totally useless. Mm -hmm. Like she literally said this about several legs. And then in the end, it's Jess's awesome performance on the roadblock that gets them the million dollar win. And I think that's a really cool story where she's in this space in her head where she's not pulling her weight on the team. And then she's the one that pulls the win out for them. I think it's great. I absolutely agree with that. And uh, I I thought it was great to see as well, because I think that, you know, I don't think she was wrong when she was saying that she was uh, useless there for a while, because it seemed like that uh, the last contribution that she really had made. And I know that, you know, everything is, uh, you know, I don't want to undersell her contribution. But in terms of the actual tasks, uh, Mike, you pointed out back in Zimbabwe that uh, she sort of coached Cody through the uh, learning the song task, but she she hadn't made a meaningful contribution in a while. And th- I thought that was a, a a nice punctuation to this story that she was the one to win that final challenge, Mike. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought that was definitely going to go one of two ways where we would get another like Nicole and Travis situation where one partner was sort of leaning on one the, the other one the entire time and they end up sort of buckling under the weight, but Jess did exactly the opposite. And, and to your point, Rob, earlier about how you know, you thought that no crossover team would win. This is not the CBS season for reversing the curse, is it not? I feel like we have sufficiently set ourselves up for Survivor Ghost Island. The curse has pre the prequel to the curse has always already been reversed. We have a crossover is it a team curse winning. or a halting hex? Uh, well, I guess the halting hex is no longer halted, so I guess the hex has been broken. I don't know if True Love's Kiss did that. Maybe I'm watching too much Once Upon a Time, but yeah, it's, it seems like they've set us up nicely for what's about to happen a week from that finale. Yeah. And so I was not spoiled on these results at all that I had done the Big Brother podcast. Although I will say that you guys were tweeting after the episode and I did see pictures of Paul on my timeline, but I didn't really like uh, look too much at it. I saw there were pictures of Paul 
being posted. And so I didn't know if that meant that Justin Cody won or that Paul was celebrating somewhere <laughs> that they lost. So that's you didn't it. know if it was happy Paul or oh! you didn't know if it was friendship or, or pissed. pissed. Yeah. So yeah. friendship pissed. As I, I, I didn't know exactly. And so uh, <laughs> we don't know how closely Paul was watching uh, any of this, but uh, let's let's talk about this uh, two hours of amazing race and uh, the actual uh, competitions that we saw because uh, again uh, all very exciting. Uh, the teams we're going to start off this week and uh, heading out to Hong Kong. Uh, the uh, what do they call this? Just the Pearl of the Orient. I guess so. I mean, we've been to Hong Kong more than <laughs> once in Amazing Race history, um, but I have to say. <laughs> I have to say this was the best Hong Kong has ever looked wow. on the Amazing Race. I thought it looked it looked like the city from Blade Runner. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> no, I, I will agree that uh, you know, and I, I don't know if I because I, I watch these episodes sometimes on CBS.com and it doesn't look the same. But I was watching it on the TV last night. Like I, I thought, like the confessionals they were doing at night. I thought everything looked beautiful. Yeah, Jess, are they going to have a roadblock instead of smashing electronics? They're smashing replicants. Is that the true task they want to go for? Yeah, they did, but there was some like ethical stuff in there, and you know, one of the replicants went out on the ledge and started mumbling about tears and rain, and it just got weird. Mm-hmm. Well, they were they were in the rain, uh, tying off the, the the hairy crab, so maybe they were musing about how tough that was. Oh, maybe, maybe there were some tears. Yeah, just the teams in their first task, they had to go to Victoria Park and. They had to take a picture. I, I didn't understand how they were getting a clue out of the picture that they were taking. I think it was just I, I don't think there was an actual clue in the picture. I think it was just a thing that they had to do in order to get the clue, like get their picture taken. Then the picture guy gives them a clue. But I saw that uh, Alex and Connor in particular really were not about this task. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, Mike, that uh, we Henry is able to speak Mandarin. And really, it's the first time in 14 years in reality TV show history that speaking Mandarin has uh, proven somewhat useful. Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was more so that their cab driver was also named Henry. So there was sort of some <laughs> same name synergy going on that he not only stayed with them, but actively went to one of the tasks to cheer them on at one point. So yes. I say cab driver, cab driver Henry might end up being the MVP of this first episode. Jess, is that a thing? If you meet a cab driver with the same name as you, they're sort of like uh, indebted to you for the entire day. I don't know if it's indebted to you, but uh, there used to be, (laughs) they they don't owe you a life debt like Chewbacca. I I, I like this though. I think the cab driver should be like Rumpelstiltskin. Like if you can guess my name, I'll drive you around and if we happen to have the same name. (laughs) Yeah. No, damn it. (laughs) It's right there on your license. That was an easy thing to guess, dude. Is that why taxi drivers have such hard to pronounce names? (laughs) It's like if there was a cab driver named Joe, he would just have to every day just be, uh, oh, my God. Now another Joe got in my cab. I have to go spend my whole day doing things for them. Well, I don't think you ever necessarily have to, but I think Henry was so excited to meet another Henry that he wanted to. <laughs> like who is named Henry? It's like a bunch of old men and babies at this point. Right. So it's like, oh, here's a here's a millennial Henry. That's exciting. I'm gonna you know, we can have a real conversation, we can bro down. I get uh, it. Do we 
do we think that cab driver Henry could help them out because his name is technically also Henry? Like they look at the speed bump and say, okay, Henry and Evan, this is a Henry. He could help us hang the lantern. <laughs> so who are they trying to trick? The amazing race? It says, it says yep. Henry and Evan. So this guy doesn't say Henry. Henry and Henry and Evan. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to do the uh, uh, hanging the Chinese lanterns uh, speed bump, uh, kind of a ho hum speed bump, Jess, right? Yeah, a little bit. I I felt like the fact that there were LED candles inside the lanterns really kind of turned down the excitement on this. If those had been real candles and they had like set some on fire and had to do them again, that would have been more interesting. <laughs> Certainly, anytime things go on fire would be more interesting. All right, detour time. Uh, Alex and Connor, uh, they're the first ones to arrive, and uh, we hear Phil set up the detour. Now, here's something you don't hear every day. It's hairy crab season in Hong Kong. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you don't, Phil. (laughs) Here's something you don't hear every day. Yeah, Uh, Jessica Cody didn't have an alarm clock, they told me. Uh, Here's something you don't hear every day. It's hairy crab season in Hong Kong. Mike, what is Phil going for here? I don't know. When I heard, here's something you don't hear every day, I was just anticipating whatever might come out of his mouth. I did not expect that it's hairy crab season <laughs> in Hong Kong. And once I heard that, I, I did mean, not expect that a euphemism go... here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't know I didn't know exactly where we were going when he ended up saying that. I know that it's after dark. Like, like you can uh, literally get crabs. In Hong Kong, but... I, 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 I've never heard this before. This, this is uh, slang that Phil, uh, he's way more hip than, than I realized, Jess. Well, look, you can get crabs at any hour in Hong Kong. I think we've learned that. Especially on that street where all the drunk people were hanging out. Uh, but I guess, is he making it like that it's a popularly used phrase? Or is he saying that you'll, you won't hear this now very often? something you don't hear every day. It's hairy crab season in Hong Kong. Because I just made up this expression. That's why you don't hear it every day. What do we think that means if it's an idiom in Phil's uh, in Phil's mind? I'm going to look up Harry Crab on Urban Dictionary to see if. Well, oh no, 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 no! Yeah. No, I don't. They, they don't. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> this is a family podcast, Rob. Yeah, Mike. This is the church it up of the Amazing Race. Uh, that this, oh, so, so do we think that there's there's a phrase that says this Harry this is Harry Crab season in Hong Kong? <laughs> is that what we're getting at? We're going to get bombarded in the comments about how wrong we were. Yeah, just do you think that uh, Hong Kong is part of the euphemism? Like, uh, well, it's Harry Crab season in Hong Kong, if you know what I mean. Could be. Um, <laughs> yeah. I- Oh boy, there's some interesting synonyms that Urban Dictionary offers, but it does not have a de- no. definition per se. <laughs> I think Phil made this up. I think that this was an inside joke with uh, Phil and his buddies, Harry Crab season in Hong Kong. Uh, so this was a uh, detour, which was especially tough. Uh, there was a grub grab on the other side, which was uh, not exactly a walk in the park, but proved to be uh, a lot easier to do. Jess, do you think that just by the name of these two detours, you would be able to tell that one was much harder than the other? I don't know. I see the word grub and I automatically think I'm going to be eating well, something gross. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is this grub grab detour option is something we have seen before. Mm-hmm. Like this is basically it's an unlabeled switchback because we have seen this task. I believe it was season 14. Yeah. Mike, I-, I was really surprised at how this ultimately played out in terms of the grub grab side of it because they set it up. Okay, here come 
Henry and Evan, and Henry is talking about how he speaks Mandarin, and while they don't quite speak Mandarin here, seems like he has a leg up on Connor, who's kind of freaking out, and like talking about how he can't do this right off the bat. But then it seemed like that Connor finished it like just a couple minutes after Henry did, and I don't really understand what the disconnect was. I mean, again, I feel like Alex and Connor were sort of in a weird place, emotionally speaking, this entire leg. Maybe it was because that photographer just really ticked them off that much. that They were sort of stewing about it for the rest of the leg. But yeah, we do get this is even on the previews, like the entire week, just Connor talking about like, this is impossible. And then, of course, he ends up finishing, as you said, like two minutes after Henry does. This is one I feel like this is one of those detour tasks where it does seem sort of impossible at first, especially because they are speaking Cantonese so quickly and so in succession. but. I feel like Henry really mastered on a good strategy, which is to listen to every other order so that he can sort of focus on one at a time and not just have to hear one after the other and not really, you know, compartmentalize everything. But Connor sort of, you know, brute forced his own way through by just taking down a couple of key words and relaying them to, I wouldn't even call these people the line cooks. They're more like the, I don't know, the lunch ladies where they just sort of find the thing in the tray and serve it to them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just they were like painting it like Henry had this great strategy and Connor was a real dodo. And then I was really surprised when Jess and Cody finished the crab challenge and they said that they were in third place. I was like, wait, hold on. How are they in third place? I didn't even realize Alex well, and Connor had gotten out of there. This is like classic Amazing Race editing, though. I mean, we talk about this every single week. There's always one of those shots where they're like, I can't do this. This is impossible. Cut to commercial. Come back from commercial. And, oh, look, I can do this. It, And I think everybody has that minute. I think especially when you're really tired and you've got the so-called killer fatigue. I think you reach a point where everything looks really impossible. It turns out it's not actually that bad. And so that's where you get all your sound bites about things being terrible. Yeah. You know, Henry and Evan, I think, are also very good at giving Amazing Race confessional. And, and we may we may be overrating them as a team because they're really good in the confessional of talking about how they figure things out. Like and, and they do it in a way that maybe like Alex and Connor don't where they're able to talk about the task like. So we were able to tell by the way that this was going to figure out blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, that, that actually sounds like a really smart way to do it where, you know, uh, Alex and Connor are a little bit more like see the ball, hit the ball in terms of talking about what they did. But time wise, it was pretty there was like no difference, Mike. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess it's sort of just it, it seemed like. Again, one of those tasks where once you got the hang of it, no matter what method you tried, you were pretty much uh, able to get through it, as opposed to the crabs, which proved to be quite a hairy situation, <laughs> yes. quite literally. Yes. Uh, just before we talk about the the crabs, uh, I thought that this was uh, an interesting thing on the menu in the restaurant. Okay, that's the that's the Yung Kai. Yeah, Yung Kai. Was that a dish on the menu when we did the Game of Thrones Amazing Race, Jess? Um, no, it should have been. We should have had like dragons and like grilled crucified slave heads or something. <laughs> yeah, the Slavers Bay kid. Uh, hit, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad they didn't serve Marine. It would have taken them like five years for it to actually do something and come out on the plate. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about the uh, hairy crab task. And uh, boy, just uh, Alex and Connor uh, were not having it. Connor especially, he was uh, really uh, uh, getting very crabby. On the, during the detour, that that's apt, I guess. Uh, are, did you just ding yeah. yourself for that? 
Is that a self ding? Sure, that's the best kind. I I guess so, but um, There's yeah, I don't know. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't. <laughs> I, it's one of those things where I think there was a trick to the crab task, and. I think some of the tasks on the Amazing Grace are better suited to the see the ball, hit the ball methodology. But Alex and Connor got to that crab thing, couldn't figure out the trick, and would have been there all night. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Connor uh, got uh, snipped. I don't want to say bit because it's not the crab's mouth. Uh, what would you call Pinched. that, Mike? Pinched? Pinched on the finger? Yeah, he was not happy. I mean, it sounds, it sounds very tame, but I feel like that's what it was. But yeah, that was sort of Connor's like, Nope, we're done moment. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it seemed a little tough, I guess, between the rain and the fact that, uh, th- these, I feel like legs in particular were very Grab meticulous legs. and detail oriented with like, okay, you need to do these certain amounts of things because, you know, Chrissy and Jen, who I would say once again had kind of a rough leg, even Phil sort of mused about it at the pit stop. They, uh, usually do really well at these types of tasks, but they got pretty far behind to the point of where they were last leaving the detour. Because the crabs either just kept crawling out of their binds or they just weren't tied correctly. <laughs> yeah, this looked like no fun. And then just why'd they have to make it raining on top of that? That seemed like overkill on the Amazing Race uh, Challenge producers. I, th- I think it just looked cooler. Like you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't dress like the Gorton's Fisherman when it's like sunny and 85 degrees out. Yeah. Uh, This was very challenging. Uh, Cody seemed like he was uh, good at this. Between catching the frogs and tying up crabs, uh, this seemed like this was right in his wheelhouse, Jess. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of things he's just sort of, he steps in and is competent at them. Like, this is why he was such a good racer throughout the whole series, I think. Like, most things, he just kind of goes into cyborg mode and he does it. Yeah. Now, that's a good point about Cody, the amazing racer, uh, Mike, that he does. He is able to sort of just like put his head down and like uh, accomplish a tedious task. And I think that's an important race skill. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely thinking about this. I know that you guys talked at the end of season 29 about how you feel like Scott might be considered one of the best individual racers of all time. But I don't know. Maybe it's a little recency bias. But for my money, I might have to put Cody in contention up there as well with, you know, Scott, maybe someone like Zach from season three or like Nick of Nick and star from season 13, just because again, outside of that singing task, I really am remiss to think of something that he really wasn't able to do. Like you said, Rob, he really was able to go into this sort of quote unquote cyborg mode and just kind of power through the task, yeah. no matter what it was that came his way. Cause I think that that's the thing that really happens. Like it's not necessarily the task. It's sort of like the contestants, like headspace that sort of takes them out of uh, a competition where it's just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, like, and just, he talked a lot about during a uh, big brother about how no victim noises, no whining, those were things that he really was against, like as a person. And I, I think that that suited him well in The Amazing Race. Yeah, I think that's something that they kind of gets beaten out of you in the Marine Corps. Yeah. I, I would chalk that up entirely to his military background where you go through boot camp and they won't let you make a victim noise about anything. Right. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And I was like, too bad. So. He was very good at these other tasks where people were like, oh, really? Uh, Catch 20 frogs here? I don't want them in the mud. Uh, It's raining. I got to tie up all these crabs. So uh, he he was very good in the tasks that were uncomfortable and uh, somewhat punishing. 
So uh, we saw them go through this. Christy and Jen, they had some crabs that were getting untied as they were finishing up. Teams headed off to go uh, practice rage art. Mike, have you ever done any rage art? Uh, this looks like when I was rushing my fraternity, we had a night called Tough Night, where they just threw a bunch <laughs> of used electronics onto a tarp, and we smashed it with baseball bats and pickaxes. Uh, and if you just threw a gallon of eggshell white on it, I'm pretty sure I would constitute that why, as rage art. Mike, why did your fraternity make you uh, hit electronic devices with a pickaxe? I suppose it was ironic because we were by far the least alpha of all of our fraternities. So that was by far in both my rushing and pledging process, the most masculine thing I would do. Just did you think that maybe one of the amazing race producers was just a huge fan of office space? Well, that was my first thought. Um, But there actually is a, there is a place in, I think Williamsburg in Brooklyn where you can go and do this. Yeah. Is this Mm. a a thing that's really fun to do? I mean, it's a thing now. It's like a, it's like cat cafes or what other lately trendy thing is there? This is a, this is actually escape rooms, cat cafes. Can we go back to the cat cafe thing? What happens at the cat cafe, Joss? Well, we had one of those on Amazing Race yeah, a few seasons season, ago. Season 26. Yeah, I tried to block that out of my head. <laughs> you go yeah, to a cafe I, I, and then you order a coffee and there's cats. <laughs> I mean, I guess this was a way for uh, for racers to also get out some aggression as well. Though it was, this looked like the most sketchy task of all of them. <laughs> it didn't look like it was very well lit. It seemed to be just on, it was at Central Pier number four, <laughs> which didn't seem like that hot happening spot. Just seemed like they just dumped a bunch of electronics out there. They said, "Okay, throw a gallon <laughs> of paint on it." But there was there was a lot of fun here. I liked uh, Henry hulking out, and I also liked. I don't know if you guys noticed this, like slight tinges of the Terminator soundtrack coming in while Cody was smashing his stuff. Yeah, we learned a lot about Cody tonight. That uh, this was uh, not the first time he had participated in this activity. You know, as a child, you find some old stuff and you start smashing it up with like with your buddies. You know, we and never you, did that. And then- <laughs> Mike, was Cody in your fraternity? Oh my god, it, now I remember. Absolutely. You know what? He had decided to quit the pledging process because we were making too many victim noises, but I always wondered where he turned out. Is that why you guys hit it off so well on your exit interview and just decided to bro yeah, down? Absolutely. We uh we did the secret handshake and everything. I just cut it out of the interview. Of course, secret handshake's done verbally over the phone now. <laughs> well i mean just do people go and look at the rage art i i just i don't understand like wh- how it's called art if any other person would look at it like oh wow that's really uh what a uh, wonderful job this person did well i don't think it i don't think you would go and look at the junk that is left behind but you might view it as performance, performance art, like maybe art somebody somebody goes in and smashes stuff and maybe other people watch it and like that's the consumption of the art. I'm not totally sure here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it serves as a great reminder of honestly our reliance on the electronic medium and the technology, which I realize is a little bit, uh, you know, hypocritical considering that we are recording a podcast right now. But I think it does a great job of smashing through the screens to really make us see what lies underneath them. Just circuitry and wires, nothing more. <laughs> really deep. Very, very. Now we're back to Blade Runner. Yeah, very deep. Uh, Jess, I was getting some. Uh, I was wishing that Negan would show up and show these losers how it was done. 
Yeah, but I don't know. If you have a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, it's going to get snagged on all of those electronics. And it, I don't, I'm not sure it works as well on on electronic junk as it does on people. Oh, uh, Phil, are you telling me there's two halves of a clue in here, too? Oh. <laughs> so who's Negan's partner on The Amazing Race? Eugene. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, Negan, I'm going to need you to run this task, and we're going to go to the, all the way to completion, and uh, we're going to get to the uh, uh, the to the pit stop in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, some men uh, they call that the uh, Pearl of the Orient. <laughs> I, I, you know, this is our next off-season podcast. We're going to do yeah. amazing <laughs> Walking Dead race, amazing walk. <laughs> Yeah, amazing walk. And at every pit stop, one of the teams gets eaten. <laughs> By a hairy crab. Oh, no, a giant hairy crab. <laughs> giant hairy crab. Uh, Mike, your pickaxe would be very useful in the Walking Dead universe. Oh, yes. Finally, my days in the mining core have finally come to fruition. Yes. Uh, speaking of Negan, uh, later on in this episode, uh, we would meet Lucille as we got to AT&T Park. So... <laughs> 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 very popular figure there okay uh, so uh i i felt very bad for christy just as uh she was just like beating all of the electronics and then uh looked like that she was uh like uh, i don't know if we, a carpal tunnel or what was the problem but it felt felt very bad for her yeah it looked like maybe she just like jammed her wrist or something I wasn't sure what was going on there, but it was another one of those cases of, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, Henry and Evan uh, got through there. Alex and Connor got through there. They were headed down to the street and it was uh, our eventual. OK, what order did you do things? Mike, I still don't understand the figuring out the correlation between the signs and the briefcase and how the teams were supposed to figure this out. I mean, I can understand why Alex and Connor had so much difficulty. Yeah. I mean, I think the purpose, the purpose of this was that there was a bunch of other sort of things to distract you thrown in there. You know, Alex and Connor got very distracted by the fact that there was a sign for bread. There was a dead fish somewhere. So it was almost like the mirroring the final task a bit and that there were a lot of decoys. I don't know if they were purposefully thrown in, but there were sort of, things to distract the eye but essentially what it was is that there were three main symbols and i was a little confused by this because the fez was in i think red and yellow neon the bull was in a red and yellow sign but the washington square arch i could understand why that was the elusive one because that didn't have any sort of amazing race colors or insignia around it it just happened to be on a happy hour sign so i can imagine why that sort of blended into the background and why so many teams just essentially had to brute force their way through guessing that number jess were you able to follow what they were supposed to be doing um yeah yeah i got what they were supposed to be doing because this is a task that they have this is another task they have recycled after countless uses i don't even think Unlike this is those the first electronics time. that were ended up going all to waste no, I think you have to break down the electronics into their component parts and then recycle them is how that works. But we broke this down into its component parts. This is not even the first time they've done this in Hong Kong. Yes. There are a lot of, you know, get on some kind of transportation and go around a track and look at everything and find the secret signs. Like we had that last season in Lake Como. So mm. this is 
something, if you watched a lot of Amazing Race, I feel like that might reward you a little bit. But it's also impossible to tell like how much stuff in that area could have been interpreted as a sign. I felt like a permanent sign embedded into a concrete wall that says bread above a bakery is probably not what you're looking for. Mm, interesting. So uh, you should have been looking for the things that Amazing Race production could have thrown up there and not things that were a fixture. Right. Okay. So we saw the unlikely pairing of Henry and Evan and Alex and Connor uh, try to compare notes. You know, uh, it's really come up so much, Mike, about the top three best friend teams that want to go to the end together. And then you had Henry and Evan, who everybody was working against. But uh, Alex and Connor and Henry and Evan started to uh, trade notes a little bit here. Yeah, would you say that Jess and Cody were part of an alliance that was fostered in friendship? Is that what you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that, because I definitely asked them about this as well. And I feel like Henry and Evan, from what they talked with me about, they had their best relationship with with Alex and Connor. But it's it's a, sort of an awkward situation when you get down to even four teams. You see this later when, when Jess and Cody and even Christy and Jen come, where, like, they're sort of talking with each other, but they also know, like, there's nobody else left. We need if we help someone, that just might mean they're going to get ahead of us, and then they're going to beat us, and then we're going to lose out on a chance on a million dollars. So you could see, like you said, they they start to compare notes, but you can feel they just sort of both give up on it, maybe because they don't have enough clues, but maybe just because they said, "Well, you know, this is the final four. Uh, you know, we really, I really don't want to assist you that much because there's a chance you might sneak your way into the final three if I give you that much help." Yeah. Just how did they know what order the numbers were supposed to be in? They, or was it just that you got the numbers and then you had to just try all the combinations? Yeah, you got all the numbers and you had to try the combinations. And it was a different, like you had the three numbers were the same for everybody, but the order in which the numbers appeared on the combination were different for everybody. Okay. Yeah. Or, or in the case of most of these teams, you have two of the numbers and you just keep trying <laughs> a third, a third number until you brute force open the briefcase. I feel like that was another theme of these two episodes as well. There were a lot of trial and error challenges where the contestants are just like, well, I can only use a certain extent of my brain power here. Let me just figure most of it out and then just keep swapping things in and out until I'm eventually correct. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's valid. Yes. I have yeah. done uh, the same uh, many times in the escape room, much to uh, Kirk Clark's chagrin. Well, that's escape rooms for you. I think, I think it's a totally valid strategy and it's something that's, if you try everything, it's guaranteed to get you to a conclusion at some point, whereas wandering around outside looking for a thing could take much, much longer. Yeah. And so Henry and Evan, uh, they're the first team to get out of there. They go to uh, head to the pit stop to go uh, meet Phil. Mike, but not before we almost uh, lose Henry and Evan to an oncoming train. Yes. Well, if we lost Henry, there's one in the wings waiting to come on in this place. <laughs> Henry, too. I got hit by a train last year while I was walking. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> Becky. Poor Becky. Uh, if she ever goes on to the Amazing Race, you can imagine that, much like with the Weaver family, they put them at a racetrack eventually. You know that they put <laughs> Becky in some sort of path of a train, only to see how she would react. I also like how, uh, you know, fantastic job by Yale overall, overcoming a speed bump. I like Phil's weird phrasing, though, where he says, in a historic Amazing Race moment, you are the third team to do this. Mm -hmm. That's just odd to say. It's like saying Thomas Jefferson was made a historic moment by becoming the third president of the well, United States Well, it's a rarity. It's a, it's a rarity. I thought that, uh, you know, 
I the the first hour of this show with Henry and Evan, just I thought that they were just uh, utterly dominant. I felt like that this was their finest hour of the season. Yeah, they definitely. I mean, they've won legs in the past, but this was they dominated really. Yeah, they were firing on all cylinders. And I think going into the final leg, you would not be totally insane to think that they had momentum to pull out a win. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll admit, as soon as I, and I won't get too far ahead to the next leg, but as soon as I saw them say they were checking their bags, I'll be completely honest. I thought they had this in the bag. Yeah. Uh, just because we, we, we saw that happen with Brooke and Scott. We didn't hear any of the other two teams say it, so I thought, why are they highlighting this if it's not going to be significant? Because they give the for- best race confessional. They tell you, like, uh, like, here's what we're doing to get an advantage over the other team. It's like, oh, this is great stuff. The other teams just don't talk like that. Mm, yeah, I guess that's true. They, they sort of are the best of explaining their motives in a very analytical way. So I guess that makes sense. It was just, it was those, maybe I got tricked by the Amazing Race Edgic again. I know when I personally saw that moment on the next leg, I thought that, okay, much like it, you know, we saw this with Brooke and Scott because it really benefited them where they just had to run around with no packs on around Chicago. I thought that Henry and Evan were able to benefit from the same thing. Turned out, it maybe just sort of helped equalize them. A bit. Uh, I thought the same thing. Uh, so we then see Jess and Cody. They're the second team to get the briefcase open. They make it to the pit stop. Just, I was really surprised to see uh, Jessica so like outwardly disappointed that Henry and Evan had already checked in at the mat. Well, Jessica is someone who wears her heart on her sleeve a little bit, um, certainly more than Cody does. Um, And she really had this picture in her head of how she thought the final leg was going to go. And she had three teams envisioned in that spot. And one of those three teams is clearly not going to make it. Yeah, Uh, I give Evan and Henry uh, a lot of credit because I would have been pretty indignant in that spot. Like, oh, so sorry. Your friends aren't here. So sorry. I didn't get eliminated in this leg. So you can race with your with your best friend teams. Well, this is something I think you have to give Henry and Evan a lot of credit for (laughs) um, that. They really. Yeah, I think. I think they are better people than us because we would have done that and they did not. Um, they really weren't about that whole alliance making clickishness stuff. And maybe that's to their detriment as racers and certainly to their detriment as characters because they did come off as very standoffish, but they were also nothing got to them. Like they right. didn't, yeah. they didn't stoop to that level. And I think we got to give them credit for that. Well, Mikey, Absolutely. you make a, a good point earlier that, you know, the irony is that, you know, Henry and Evan were the Jess and Cody of uh, big brother 19 here where everybody else wanted them gone and they were sort of left to themselves. Yeah. And what I will say is, you know, in my exit interview with them today, they they did seem to be surprisingly accepting as well. You know, now that they told me they were not necessarily aware about the other team's attitudes towards them in those confessionals, maybe Jessica sort of at the mat being here being the exception. But they really, it seemed like the teams were okay with them. And it seemed like it was one of those cases when when they turned their backs and left the room, they sort of, you know, uh, gossiped about them. But for what it's worth, they still seem to be okay with it. They say that, you know, people will race the way they want to race. And I, I respect the fact that people might not necessarily like the way that we communicate or might make judgments about us, but you know, we, we race how we want to. So again, you know, these are, these are two people who just graduated college, but I feel like they show a a very good maturity, even at that age towards some of these things that are happening on the race to them. 
And then finally, uh, Christine Jen, they're going to uh, check in leaving Team IndyCar to be eliminated. And yes, it was a, a sad night for uh, Alex and Connor as Phil has to come down to the uh, streets of Hong Kong to shut it down. Well, I think I was having a hard time deciding, like, had they been out there all night and it was hours and hours or was it just at that point? Phil needed to get on the plane. We got a flight coming up here in a little yeah. bit. <laughs> in fact, everybody had to get on that plane because everybody yeah. had to be at the finish line. I think it was more like we want to stick to a schedule here and you guys aren't getting any kind of redemption. There's no reason for you to finish the leg. We'll just go get you and we'll go straight to the airport. Yeah. I did think that uh, Phil and Connor, though, did have uh, one last moment on the mat. And this was uh, Phil after he had eliminated Alex and Connor. It's been, it's been awesome, man. It's been great to just meet you, Phil. My God. Yeah, you too. Yeah. So, Jess, I felt like that, that was like the acknowledgement between Phil and Connor. I wanted Phil to like take his jersey off and throw it at yeah, Connor. Like, real Here, kid, catch. <laughs> mean Joe Green moment. Yeah, exactly. emphasis on mean, considering how Phil asked <laughs> yeah. for Connor. Yeah, th- this definitely felt like that moment where like the whole movie, the hardened coach has been like, really pushing it into his, his, you know, his quarterback to do better and better. And then when he finally, like, he fails the championship, like, the coach decides to come to him very sympathetic. Like, even before that moment where when Phil sort of rounds the corner, like, Connor is extremely hard on himself. And Phil is surprisingly sympathetic towards him, considering the, the 10 previous legs of the stuff that he's thrown towards Connor, where he's like, hey, don't, don't beat yourself up, okay? You know, winning three races out of 12 is still a really good statistic. You should, you should believe in yourself. And I know that Connor told me, uh, that he wanted to slide into Phil's DM so they could have a drink together. So uh, I, I, that was I, that was one of the fun constants throughout this season as well. The dynamic between Phil and Connor. I think it's very rare that we've seen a dynamic between Phil and a racer over the course of a season in particular. Jez, do you suspect that Phil would return Connor's DM? Um, I think he'd slide right back into oh. the DMs. <laughs> I, I think it's totally mutual, although I think... Phil was more like, you shouldn't beat yourself up, Connor, because that's my job. Let's talk about the second leg of the uh, of the night. And I just is this uh, is this usual for the race to make such a big deal out of, you know, the teams going to bed on the flight home? Well, they've done it a couple of times where they've just upgraded everybody for the flight back. Um, Business premier class. Yeah. In recent seasons, it's been more like. They've not had to book their own flights, which was a plot point in early seasons. And now that the flights are pre-booked a lot of the time, you might as well just do the premier business class. You're booking in advance. It's going to cost the same as buying an economy ticket at the gate. I am surprised they do it on Amazing Race Canada a lot, but usually it's to highlight the airline that is sponsoring the show. And we do not have an airline sponsor here. No. Yeah, I think think we saw it was China Airlines, but I mean, I was... Maybe this just is a determinant of the way I usually fly. I was sufficiently impressed. It looked like uh, like the fuselage looked like a startup space with how much room that they had to have these little cubicles that they got to watch TV and sleep in. <laughs> you think that that would have been a good uh, setup for an office, Mike? Yes. Uh, I think that if they need to rent out some space, if, you know, uh, ticket prices are, are tickets, you know, quantity is running low for China Airlines. I think they could possibly rent out their space to entrepreneurs. Is, uh, do you think that the Amazing Race production office is actually a plane and then it doubled for a business class on the flight home? 
I mean, that would be very easy, right? Yeah. I think that's much easier than picking yourself up and putting yourself down in a different country every other day. Okay. So the teams were going to head to San Francisco for the final leg of the race. And of course, you know, this is a, a two hour show. There was a lot going on last night, celebrity big brother and everything. And I have to say, as I was uh, watching the, uh, the show on uh, the sling box uh, that I use out of Cincinnati, I've got a great listener. His name is Zach Sosna. He lets me, uh, he let me set up a sling box on his uh, East coast time zone. And I was watching the show on the local CBS station out of Cincinnati. And I have to say, I was very distracted uh, trying to follow the amazing race as I was watching all of the teases going on for the local news that night. Uh, here's what they were talking about. Live at 11, local teenagers are caught taking a joyride in a stolen car and could be behind vehicle break-ins in a neighborhood. How they could be tied to similar crimes in another okay. area. Also, some hunters say they have proof that Bigfoot exists right here <laughs> in the tri-state, where they believe the beast could be hiding at 11. Wait, what? <laughs> what? So did you stick around and watch the news? I want to know what's going on here. <laughs> well, I did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're connected. I'm pretty sure the teens stole the car and then they happened to find Bigfoot in said stolen car. So that's why they had to do sort of like a one element leading into the other. And uh, we have a, a team of hunters on the case. Is this what Rifi has been up to in these last 12 months? Tracking down Bigfoot? Uh, it's it's slim pickings now that Hunted is no longer happening on CBS, I suppose. But this was a big story in Cincinnati, and I would love to get an update from any of our listeners in the Cincinnati area, because it seems like that this was like a big investigation. Pretty massive, real quick of a glimpse, and it, and it moved behind a tree. I'm not crazy. You guys aren't crazy. There is something in the woods. Hunting Bigfoot in the Tri-State, tonight at 11 on Local 12. <laughs> And this was so much. This is a great episode of The Amazing Race, but now I'm really distracted about Bigfoot. But I thought Bigfoot lived in the Pacific Northwest. No, he's in Cincinnati did now. He, did he move? He's, he's, nomadic, he's nomadic. Uh He does. He wants to get away from the coast. I mean, I'm surprised that at this point, I think we might have given The Amazing Race 31 <laughs> ideas to have their final leg now in Cincinnati next time, and so they have to scout out Bigfoot. <laughs> The teams will race through the tri-state looking to find clues for Bigfoot himself. Well, Bigfoot will hand him their next clue. Like, what, what am I watching? He'll be at the, on the mat with Phil. What am I watching? The Weekly World News? What are we talking about on the local CBS? Now, here's Six something you don't world. hear every day. Bigfoot is loose in Cincinnati. The hairy crab is on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, uh, there was a Harry in the Bigfoot movie uh, that I recently watched the documentary, Mike. <laughs> yes, is the Bigfoot actually John Lithgow in a costume? <laughs> All right, so we'll see. Uh, please, uh, anybody in Cincinnati, let us know if you spotted Bigfoot. All right, uh, the teams would then head to AT&T Park. Uh, one of my bucket list uh, items to go and watch the Mets play there uh one day just uh is this a new thing two seasons in a row that uh we're gonna go to a baseball stadium in the final leg well they usually go to a sports stadium of some sort the final leg if you think back on this rob almost every single season they wind up at a ballpark just because you get a big jumbotron and it's like a large amount of space that's available to be rented out um i think also recently when we wrapped up uh 
season 26 in Dallas. You had, um, you went to the Cowboys stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more common than you might think. Yeah. It's, I think it's not always baseball, but it's usually some kind of sport. Yeah, last season, uh, we obviously went to uh, Wrigley Field in Chicago, and that was a memorable uh, task there. So here the teams had to go into uh, McCovey Cove and uh, get in a kayak to go find baseballs that would read out the number of home runs for the Say Hey Kid, uh, Willie Mays, fired by <laughs> Lucille, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, Lucille's got a hell of an arm. Why don't they put Lucille on the pitch uh, <laughs> when they really need a closer? Yeah, I mean, this was... So I will uh, throw something out that, that Christy and Jen said in my exit interview that I, I want to sort of gauge over the course of us talking about this leg. I know that Jen said that she felt up to the final task, they ran a quote-unquote virtually flawless leg. And so I wonder if we can track that over the course of this leg, but I feel like it starts really well here where... You know, I I am very surprised that both Big Brother and Yale just ran off without even thinking to stop and wonder, okay, what number should we be looking for? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the the producers probably hoped that they would actually look on the plaque that was directly to their left. Nobody went there. Nobody was thinking that. that (laughs) Well, we live in in the digital age now where we're smashing computers and just looking up uh, baseball stats on people's phones like six feet from the plaque. But good on Team Extreme here because I feel like this is what really – got them out to a lead that they maintained up until the final task where they just stopped and took a breath, got the actual number that they were supposed to be looking for. And so now they were just not fruitlessly searching for balls in the bay. Yeah. Mike, I also got the sense that they seemed irked that the other teams were asking for that information from the kayak. I got the sense that they felt that they should have had to go back onto land and ask for that number because they were the only teams that had the presence of mind to get into the boat with that number. Yeah, I mean, I think they also got very lucky that there happened to be a bystander directly next to the pier <laughs> that night where they could yell up to them. Yes, and somebody that had uh, decent information in, in terms of that. Uh, Jess, that, uh, are, are we uh, taking the teams too much to task to think to look ahead to get the Willie Mays home run number before they got in the boat? Well, that was a big error on everybody's part. And I think the clue must have been worded such that they thought they were going to get in the water and all the balls were going to have like the triple digit number and you had to find the one that had the right one I mean, and you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah, in fairness, I mean, that was the task that they just completed in Hong Kong where you're going to have figure out three numbers and then put them in the right order. And then uh, once you do that, that will be the end of the task. That it was not like that you had to know a random number coming in that was not affiliated with the Amazing Race in any way. Yeah, I had not thought of it that way, but you're right. They had just done something like that where they had to find a three-digit number. And I think they probably assumed they would go out and find three baseballs and any three baseballs could be unscrambled to be the right number. So Christine Jen, uh, they got it first. Uh, Cody and Jess uh, got it soon thereafter. And then uh, Henry and Evan, it would take them longer. Uh, the teams had to go to this roadblock. Uh, Phil calls it, uh, who brought extra underwear, Jess? Phil's working a little blue this season. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Between this and the hairy crabs. 
I think it's that mustache. I think it's making him like a little dirty Phil. <laughs> and so uh, teams had to, well, what's the right verb for, uh, it's not repelling. Uh, what would you call that, Jess? Those are called ascenders. ascenders. And um, the only place I've ever seen these stupid things is um, on The Amazing Race. Yes. And this is, yeah. I think, the fifth time we've seen them there. And honestly, they need to have these every season because they're a lot of fun. Wow, the Ascension and the Abyss, uh, they were calling it, where teams had to climb up and then bungee jump down. And it looked like that this was the task that Cody was born to do, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if he was waiting for the person to give him the go-ahead to jump. I think he just stepped over and just walked off of that beam. Uh, And I think it's really funny as well, considering... How much, you know, Christy and Evan were understandably screaming their heads off. And I don't think Cody made a peep as he descended down there covered in glittering lights. (laughs) Yeah. Mike, uh, could that be a new Big Brother punishment, the neon tard that they could bring in for Big Brother 20? Yeah. What do you think? But what would they have to do? Like every time they pump in like, uh, you know, uh, big bass music and they have to, to, yeah, they have to pump in techno and they have to do the robot every time it comes on. Yeah, uh, that was good. Just, I was really uh, feeling for one Chrissy that she seemed like that her arms were hurting her in the uh, rage art task. So that, uh, but it didn't seem like that slowed her down. But then for poor Evan, it seemed like that uh, that this was a grueling task. Well, this is one of the most physically challenging things the Amazing Race ever asks you to do. This requires a tremendous amount of upper body strength. And, you know, Evan is pretty strong for her size, but she's still not an athlete. Right. Yeah. Well, this this is what killed the bowling moms, right, Jess? It was this ascending yep. task where Colin and Christy got to pass them in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, part of that was down to bad race rules at the time. I think right around season five was when they realized, okay, we have to start we have to start making it so that each team member has to do a certain number of roadblocks because basically Colin did every single roadblock that on that season, Colin and Chip. And so you had these two big, strong guys who weren't forced to not do the ascenders at the time. Yeah. Just, I've seen a, a little bit of chatter, not a lot today about, uh, did Cody end up doing uh, more tasks than uh, Jess and what did they bend the rules for them or did you think it was all kosher i don't think they bent the rules i think they i think the official race rule as far as i understand it and it could have changed in the meantime like maybe around dave and connor i think we had the same conversation but i believe that going into the final leg no team member can do more than six roadblocks and we had some room to fudge on this because not every leg this season had a roadblock Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think that's the crux of it. Is exactly what Jess is saying. Is that usually in previous iterations of the Amazing Race, they usually put at least one roadblock in basically every leg. But there were several points. The partner swap is a great example where they didn't have a roadblock to start, and so you know it ended up with Cody doing six, six, Jessica doing three. You could count four if she, uh, if she, you know, if you count this final plane task as sort of a roadblock, even though it, it wasn't marketed at one. I believe that there was also a unaired roadblock in Bahrain. I saw something about like diving off a platform or something that was really inconsequential. So it got edited out. And if Jessica did that, that would bring their total up to six and five. So 
really, I think it's more balanced than people are making it out to be just by looking at pure numbers of it all. Now, this is really where, uh, you know, the race, we had a, a couple of lead changes here in uh, this final leg where it looked like Christy and Jen might be able to uh, break away as they were the only team that had the uh, 660 number in the boat. But then Cody ends up getting up the uh, bridge so quick and they're able to get a little bit of a lead here heading into the fortune cookies and Henry Evan, you feel like maybe they might fall out of it, but we get to, uh, we get this clue, Jess. And, uh, it's like, okay, go to the, uh, golden gate, something factory. Uh, I'm no captain Lorca over here, but that does not look like (laughs) any fortune cookie I've ever seen in that picture. Jess. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what that was supposed to be. Fire the fortune cookie artist. Yeah, that that's not the emoji for fortune cookie. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, Cedric, Cedric would have loved that, this task. It's all about emojis. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I love me a Rebus uh, and even a Kathy Lee. But yeah, this one, this it looked like more like a cracker to me. So I thought yeah. it was one of the cracker factory like for a second. a pancake with a bite out of it. I don't know what uh, sort of fortune cookie that was. Just, was that supposed to be the representation of like the flat fortune cookie that was like coming off the conveyor belt? I do not know what that was. I think... I think someone needs to upgrade their Wingdings font. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, teams have to make the fortune cookie. Uh, Mike, uh, nothing really exciting here uh, in the fortune cookie making. Well, for a second, I thought that we were getting to that aforementioned storyline that I talked about before of, oh, Jessica will be the one to sink Team Big Brother because, you know, she was the one who really struggled on making those fortune cookies where Henry and Evan were really able to blaze through it and lead directly after them. But once again, it became a big equalizer at the final task. So that was really all the drama and intrigue that came from the fortune cookies. Yeah. Oh, I thought it looked really hinky, to be honest, because (laughs) she was doing a terrible job. And then you see like Christy and Jen with their like C plus fortune cookies and the guy throwing out a bunch and making her redo them. And here's Jessica and like her fortune cookies aren't even in the little slots. They're just in like a big heap. And some of them are clearly not fortune cookie shaped, but they ended up passing the task at the same rate as everybody else. So I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Henry and Evan are going to show up uh, and they are going to uh, make up some ground here, at least on Justin Cody, uh, in terms of how fast they're able to do the uh, fortune cookies. But basically, uh, the teams are going to get out of here and head on down to the USS Hornet, where uh, they're going to compete in the final leg of or the final challenge of uh, the race. Uh, Mike, what do you think of this as a final task in terms of, uh, you know, run around the ship and then find all these parts and then put together this plane puzzle? I mean, I think this was a good way, again, to harken back to some of those initial memory challenges, which I think it started in, what, season three, but it really didn't get brought into a, a main component of every final leg until season 12 or so. But, I mean, it, it serves as a, as a nice equalizer to sort of raise some intrigue while at the same time testing skills. And I feel like adding the physical component of actually fighting the pieces uh, definitely helped in the case where if there was one team that was really out in the lead and uh, they were so far ahead of everybody that it really seemed like no contest, at least this provided a component of, oh, you have to find the 12 pieces in the thousands of rooms uh, in the Hornet. And I believe they actually, it took them, what, on the screen, like an hour, 15 minutes just to find all the pieces mm-hmm. to begin with. So... You can imagine how long of a night that was, and I think that sort of also added to 
the frenzy and the mental breakdowns of some of these contestants as they were working on the planes ultimately. Yeah, Jess, uh, did you like this uh, final plane challenge? Yeah, honestly, I think this is maybe one of the best final tasks in Amazing Race history. Um, I think you really can't have an exciting leg of the race when your final task is just like write down all the places you visited, which some of these tasks really aren't challenging enough to potentially mix up the order. How about and build lawn furniture. Yeah. Build lawn furniture. Uh, uh, or rem- remember the hashtags is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Or um, the one in 22 when they had to pull the balls out of the ball pit. Um, really, you need to have some kind of grueling mental challenge at the end that ties everything together in an interesting way that kind of separates the really good racers from the racers who might've gotten there by random chance. And I think this really did it. I think I've gone on record as saying, I think the best final task was the one in season 12. that was this complicated LSAT logic puzzle where you had to have like one animal and one method of transportation. And there was only one correct answer and a lot, lot of really incorrect answers. And this one was almost as challenging and you saw everybody really struggle with it and everybody was there at the same time, which I think was the end goal to begin with. Yeah. And so the teams had to run around and grab all of these parts. Uh, Jess and Cody and Christine Jen seemed to have the just outright lead on picking up the parts, but then here come Henry and Evan and we end up hearing, you know, Evan give a confessional about how he has a plan and he's going to be systematically checking the, the basically, you know, he'll do it and then he'll keep checking it. Like, okay, that sounds like a good idea to me. And I felt like, okay, well, here we go. Here come Henry and Evan, the come from behind victory. But we had a real heartbreaking moment in this oh. race. And I, I spoke with Henry and Evan this morning and I really wanted to know, Evan, did, did you guys know that, uh, that he, Henry had 12 out of 12 and uh, started with Henry Yes, he didn't know. He, that, he found that out last night watching the episode. Oh, God. that's That's got to be the most heartbreaking of all. I really feel for that guy. Yeah. And I did feel like that while it was great to see Mike, I kind of thought like, well, there was my spoiler right there that Henry and Evan uh, yeah. don't got this. I had the exact same thinking again, where when we actually saw the lower third that said 12 there, I feel like usually what they do is they like to build up a lot of dramatic pauses before that flight sky that flight man said you are cleared for takeoff after he gave so many thumbs down this guy uh, over the course of you're not cleared for takeoff (laughs) to be fair i don't think that plane would ever be cleared for takeoff because as we found out talking to uh to christy and jen and if you actually looked at the planes i believe the wings one wing was on facing the right way and one wing was on facing the incorrect way they were very upset about that yeah, so like it was not a functioning plane, so technically it should never be cleared for takeoff, functionally speaking. <laughs> and also, it's like made of cardboard. Yeah, also, it didn't have an engine in it. <laughs> so, you're not cleared for takeoff. <laughs> yeah. I also loved it, was, it, it really stung probably even more for those other two teams, but I also loved the fact that it was just at the other end of the runway because then it's sort of like it's sort of why I, I said that before with the head to head, like. If you need to do it at the end of the leg, at least put it right in front of the pit stop. Let's eliminate the sort of pomp and circumstance of having to go to somewhere else and then go to the pit stop. They can at least run 
directly from, you know, the the final location down the tarmac into the finish line. But you can imagine how tough that must be to knowing that it's steps away certain victory. You just need to have things in the right place. And Henry and Evan did for a brief second, but then it got, you know, it got taken away from them. Yeah. And also uh, the reverse is true that when we saw Jess with 10 out of 12 only needing to uh, switch one thing and then to ask, uh, I felt like that that was kind of uh, clear that they were going to uh, have it. And, uh, but it's a little, you know, maybe the, the average person uh, that's watching the show isn't thinking along those lines. But uh, Jess, I, I thought that this was such a great puzzle also because you had all three teams working on it and it was one of these things where they could just switch one thing and ultimately be right. But it wasn't like, oh, well, uh, you know, that they're not even close. It's like we couldn't really tell just by looking at it who was close and who wasn't. Yeah, it it was hard to tell. Like you definitely needed those graphics at the bottom of the screen to let you know who was getting close and who is not. And I think also there's kind of two types of puzzles on the amazing race. There's the ones where they tell you how many things you have right and what you have wrong. And then there's the ones where you really don't know. So you could get further and further away from being right. Potentially. Yeah. And Mike, going back to Zimbabwe, I, I think that Jess actually was uh good in that task. I think she was matched up with Christy and Christy. They, they had like, they, they had the pieces that they picked up from the poachers that were in there and Jess had said in that leg she's like look let's just you know systematically okay uh put it in this order and then just keep asking and and I feel like that she was able to fall back on that skill set here I think the other thing that was interesting about this final task as well sort of an additional hurdle is that you have these very vague symbols and maybe it was sort of just frustratingly so because they don't know which applies to what but you have things like the magnifying glass, which we sh- were shown, represented, you know, the guy looking over uh, the clipboard with the big Kafka sticker from Prague. But it also could have been, you know, the guy with the magnifying glass looking at the diamonds in Belgium. So you can imagine how many combinations were going through their head as they went through all of those choices of, OK, what could the helmet mean? Uh, you know, here's a tire. Could this be in from Zimbabwe or could it be when we went in the four by fours, you know, in, in the other half of Zimbabwe? There was so much vagary going on that it really made for such an even playing field. And one of the more nail-biting results, I think, I've seen an amazing race in quite some time. Yes, and we've already established that they need to fire their wingdings guy, Jess. Yeah, yeah, that wingdings guy. Or their wings guy. Yeah, the wing, <laughs> wingdings too. guy was the one who decided to put one of them on back. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's a great moment when Jessica checks and she's finally cleared for takeoff. And then she like, like almost like, uh, is like, gives the guy like a bear hug and, uh, Cody's like, all right, we should go now. We should really come on. We got to leave. We got to go. We got to go, uh, go win the race. I, I like how Cody also, when they reached the mat was like, uh, like, did we do it right? I, he was very sure that they had done something wrong and they would get Dave and Rachel and told by Phil at the finish line to, yeah. to turn around and go do something again. Yeah. Um, and Phil is telling them that, you know, he's going into his whole spiel and saying to Cody, like, Cody, you don't look like you. Uh, he's like, uh, I don't believe it. I don't <laughs> believe that this is real. And he finally, like, he has a, he smiles, but you can, like, hear, like, glass shattering and stones cracking as the smile creeps up his face. Yeah. And he looks so uncomfortable smiling. You hear the gears creaking because the, those yeah. gears have not moved in quite some time. Yeah. It's yeah. like the intro to Game of Thrones on Cody's <laughs> face. 
<laughs> Ooh, serve me up some Yoon Kai so I can watch that happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm happy. Uh, you know, for uh, Jess and Cody and uh, Cody, yeah, that we haven't talked about it much this uh, season, but. Uh, he does have a daughter uh, who, you know, they brought up more on Big Brother. And so it's just nice, you know, that uh, it's a life changing thing for uh, that little girl. I don't think that uh, either, you know, um, you know, Chrissy or Jen, uh, I, I have any kids that we heard about on the show and uh, neither do uh, Henry or Evan yet. So uh, I thought that that was, you know, uh, nice that that was something, uh, you know, that's going to really improve uh, her life uh, moving forward. So, uh, you know, very nice story for Jess and Cody. Can we talk about the story of Jess and Cody for a second? Because I do feel like terrible. At least, I, I mean, I do feel terrible uh, for not for not count, for counting. We, I mean, we all counted them out when we made our predictions last episode. But part of the reason why at least I made my predictions because I feel like, and again, we talked about unconventional stories, but. I feel like Christy and Jen and Henry and Evan had such larger stories overall when it comes to the narrative. Christy and Jen, we kept hearing about, we want to be the fourth all-female team to win. Henry and Evan, we really got a late surge of this outsider storyline, how they're the underdogs. You know, ever since the Freet race, it's been mind over matter. And, and Cody and Jessica, they've had their moments, but it didn't necessarily feel like there was an overarching narrative. I love that you brought up, brought up uh, Humby's tweet before, Jess, because I feel like that is one of those storylines, but it's one of those things where in the moment, you don't necessarily see the forest for the trees. But now taking a look back, like I'm Bigfoot. sure rewatching this. Yeah, maybe he'll be there um, giving out those clues. But I feel like this is one of those things where rewatching the season, you'll get more of a sense of not only what their general storyline is, but I feel like Jess is plays more of a role in the team than we initially give her credit for. Final leg being the exception. Yeah. Would you say that her role is, uh, as, as you mentioned, with the uh, singing task? Is, is she, like she has this cyborg? Is she like this like mother of dragons figure that she is just her job to sort of like uh, like keep this weapon focused at the uh, task in front of it? Yeah, I would compare it to like almost in uh, in Frankenstein when you have this little girl that like offers Frankenstein a flower and he's able to succumb the beastly instincts in order to you know, become slightly civilized. I, I do think, and Cody talked about this a little bit in my interview with him, where I think Jess really plays an emo- important role, emotionally speaking. I do feel like it, it gets a little underspoken uh, in The Amazing Race, the dynamic between the partners and how important that is. Uh, and you, we've seen earlier on this season with some teams where, where they have distrust in each other, it really sows the seeds of dissent and leads to their downfall. Whereas Jessica and Cody, I feel like because... I feel like Cody was only able to be successful because he was able to lean on Jessica so much and because she was able to provide emotional support for him in order to sort of fuel his success. So again, I do agree that there were certain points when she was adamantly saying, I, this is not my thing. I'm not going to be able to help with this. But I do feel like there are certain things behind the scenes in terms of actually managing their relationship that she was very key in sort of helping, you know, urge the team along. It just they never had a fight during uh, the entire run of the Amazing Race, and, and they, you know, uh, had some disagreement in you know, and some moments where they weren't talking to each other for a couple of hours in uh, Big Brother. But overall, they don't really get into flameouts with each other it, like a you know Brendan and Rachel would at, at different times uh, along the way. 
Well, I think part of the key difference here is that A, Cody is not human. He is a robot. Mm. And B, they have not interacted in the real world. They don't have any sort of life together at the point at which we're watching them. Mm -hmm. They've been on a TV show throughout the entirety of their relationship, and they've never been 100% real with each other, which I think ironically makes them better suited to run the race as a team. Yeah. So you feel like that because it's such a new relationship for them that they're almost still in like that blind date phase of it phase. Right. Where it's like that they're uh, not going to go to like it's 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 all still so new. Yeah, it's new. And it's also like the only thing they have in common right now is their shared experiences on reality television. And at the point in which we're seeing them win the amazing race, the only thing they have in common is the race. I would liken them to like an Eric and Danielle, who were a couple who were kind of artificially put together. Um, didn't know each other that well, weren't actually even dating, didn't have a relationship at the time, and ended up winning Amazing Race All-Stars because they were able to be so hyper-focused on the race. And I think I don't have any doubt that Jess and Cody have a very real relationship. Like, their affection for each other was very genuine, but... At this point, the only thing they are to each other is they're a very new relationship and they are on a TV show with one goal together. They don't have any other stuff in the world waiting for them yet. Okay. Uh, the other teams uh, start to get their plane assembled. Uh, we see uh, Henry and Evan end up coming in second. Uh, Phil tries to uh, pump them up, but uh, they're not really too interested in Phil's pep talk. It was so close. I said at the beginning that this would be the most competitive cast that we've ever had. And look how close this finish was. I mean, we're talking minutes. You're right. It was really close. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I was like, come on, give me something here. Well, Phil says, you know what? I don't have Connor to bother on the mat here. So sorry, Henry, you're second in line. Yeah. Uh, and then again, uh, Chrissy and Jen, uh, they come in third and Phil's like, hey, look, you never did worse than third. Now, Jessica, do you think that Jen had a Luke-esque moment with the puzzle here where they came in first and things just did not come together quite literally and that made them sort of fall apart? Um, I think so, but obviously she didn't flame out quite as spectacularly as Luke did. Mm. Um, I think, but I do think she sort of, she really clearly blamed herself for that. Yeah. And, but she was not that far behind. I don't think there was more than 10 minutes separating any of these three teams. Yeah. Just, it was a tough night for, uh, Christy and Jen because they, they seemed like indestructible through, uh, the first, uh, 10 legs of this race. And then they just had like two rough legs, uh, back to back where it was like uh, Christy, uh, seemed to have, uh, more problems in the uh, 11th leg. And then it was Jen ultimately who was, uh, you know, very besides herself about the whole uh, thing with the plane in uh, the 12th leg. But they, they were just uh, such a strong team uh, and such an, a, you know, even keeled and consistent team through the whole race. Well, they were never really tested, I think. They got through everything. They were quietly competent. There was never any wall that they hit until that second to last leg. And I think 
teams that win tend to hit their wall a little earlier and get over the wall and have room to recover. And I think maybe Christian Jen, if they'd had some real trouble with something earlier in the race, they might have been able to bounce back from that and do much better, where Jess and Cody had several points where we thought they were done for and they got over it and were really cruising with some good momentum by the time they hit that final leg. Yeah, that's an interesting point because uh, I believe in, in, you know, when I talked with them, they said that those moments actually they felt it, quote unquote, made them stronger. You know, they said on the, the flight back from Hong Kong, they really used that moment to debrief and sort of say, okay, this is what we sort of need to work on. But it's interesting sort of comparing the divergent paths of Cody and Jessica and Christy and Jen, specifically in the last three legs, where, you know, Christy and Jen come in third three times in a row. Whereas Cody and Jessica, even though, as you said, Jess, you know, they had a streak in the middle, especially where they were coming in like six, six, fifth, fifth, fourth near the bottom, they come in second, then second. And I wonder if it's just, you know, there's a there's such a thing as momentum as rare as it might be on the amazing race where you are in a different environment every week. But if you need momentum, maybe you need momentum at the end specifically, because that's what really is going to fuel you emotionally and mentally to push through that to the uh, to the other side at the end. Okay, so overall, the Amazing Race 30, uh, super exciting finale. Jess, uh, is it too soon to look at the season as a whole in your mind? Um, I mean, everything gets better with perspective, um, but I think we can look back on this whole season. I mean, we have de- we have devoured a lot of Amazing Race in a relatively short time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's hard to... It's hard to, we practically binged this. Like CBS forced us to binge this season. And I think we might need to digest it a little bit before we look back on it and kind of try to fit it into the canon. But honestly, like looking at it right now, the morning after, or the evening after, as it were, um, we're recording this now on Thursday night. I, I would say that I think it's been overall a pretty good season. I think better than I had expected, especially going into it and knowing that we were getting a team from Big Brother. I know I wasn't high on them, and I think they in particular really pleasantly surprised me. I mean, I'm still going to get like Jess and Cody stands that are going to be like, well, this thing you said that we're critical of them, that was inaccurate, so you're wrong, and they're the best team ever. They're not the best team ever, but they're entertaining. I'm not unhappy with them winning like i'm not ready to throw the whole show out the window because they won Mm -hmm. um and i think the other teams were incredibly competitive i wouldn't go as far to say the most competitive ever but it was a great season full of some good locations some good challenges you had a lot of teams that had amazing personalities some really fun moments and i think overall this is a season i'd go back to and watch again wow uh, yeah, in terms of the Jess and Cody performance, yeah, it wasn't a dominating performance by really any stretch of the imagination. They only had one other first place finish in the entire race, uh, and that came all the way back in uh, leg number two. Uh, they did come in second, uh, looks like four different times, but they had some, you know, uh, six out of eight, six out of seven, uh, five out of six, five out of six, four out of five. So, they were sort of uh, a uh, middling team at points, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I feel like nowadays we can sort of like, I don't want to discredit all of these like first place finishes, but I feel like in an era where you have winners like the aforementioned Eric and Danielle or the Beekmans or Amy and Maya or even someone like, you know, Kelsey and Joey, who did not get a first place victory until 
the finals or even someone like Brooke and Scott, who also got one first place victory before winning the final leg. I think it's it's leaning more and more on what you do in the final leg and just racing as consistently as possible. And they definitely had some ups and downs over the course of the race. But I think that also just harkens to, as Jess was saying before, this cast. I, I do think this, I mean, I mainly watch the show for the cast and the tasks, and I feel like both were very, very good. The cast especially. I think, you know, we might have balked a little first at like, oh, this is a little gimmicky to bring in, you know, competitive eaters and NBA people and big brother people and IndyCar drivers. But I think they all proved to be at least pretty good TV characters. You know, I, I we could maybe talk down the line about who would we possibly bring back for a prospective All-Stars version, but I think everyone, you know, participated in at least some entertaining moments on television. And I think the locations in particular uh, were really good. I feel like every time we went to a place, even when we were in the same country, no two locations felt the same, which I think just really speaks to the the diversity that they were going for. They even got to visit a country for the first time in 30, 30 seasons of The Amazing Race, which is unheard. So I would say personally, I probably put this in at least the top half. I think that the stuff that they, I think this season will also be known for the stuff that they tried out too, the head to heads and the partner swaps, which I would say, I think there are seeds of ideas in there that need to be worked on. Not to say they were complete and utter disasters the first time they rolled them out. I think they were fine to maybe not great in terms of execution, but I feel like with maybe a little workshopping, if they want to keep working on them and using them in the race, they'd be able to put to use them eventually in a good way. Yeah. Just no word on Amazing Race 31 yet at this point, correct? Um, I think we've heard rumors that there that we're getting an Amazing Race 31, but I would be surprised if we got it before next year. Yeah. I think this particular model, as we saw, the ratings were much higher than they were of the previous season. And I think that's going to probably give us a little momentum to give us at least one more season. But I think this model of showing it between the, between the survivor seasons during this break, when not much else is going on, I think that really helped the show. And I would not be surprised to see them try the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw something, uh, I think Phil gave an interview with Andy Denhart on reality blurred about, he felt like there actually might be a two season pickup. If that's the case, <laughs> you- don't get greedy, Phil. I know I was going to say, uh, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Uh, but do, do you think that, I mean, do you, are you liking what the Amazing Race is doing so far with the sort of one season a year format? Do you think that going back to two seasons a year, especially if they're trying to squeeze it in these sort of hiatuses between CBS's other reality shows, do you think that that might be a little bit of too much uh, TAR overload? Well, I, I think that it's a smart strategy for CBS. So you sort of have like these, uh, you know, survivor tent poles where you go, you have basically, you know, 26, 27, 28 weeks out of the year that get filled by survivor on that Wednesday night. And then you have big brother, which fills in a big chunk of that time. So if you could get the amazing race sort of like in one of those bridge slots, either between when survivor ends in the spring and big brother starts, or like they did here when survivor ends and before survivor begins again, that just feels like the natural place to slot these amazing race seasons. Just. Well, yeah, and you don't have people that are kind of like they have their one reality show a week that they watch. Um, they're not competing with Survivor to for those for that chunk of airtime, and that way we could put the show in a 
slot that makes more sense for it, uh, which is one thing. And it's another thing I think a lot of people get very invested in Survivor, as we well know, and you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to hold two shows in your head at the same time. And so I think putting it between Survivor seasons allows you to devote more of your time and energy to it. And you can also have Survivor's time slot. I think it's a win-win. Yeah. And I think, Mike, that they should always do a crossover team on The Amazing Race. Well, I think after this, again, the curse has been broken. We'll see what this might lead to. It might not even be another crossover from another CBS reality show. You know, considering how much uh, streams are crossing between CBS and MTV, maybe we see, you know, a, a couple from The Challenge come on. Oh, Who's God. to say? But I, I, I do wonder if we're going to see, like, the... The Jody effect, if you will, yes. where now we were we were sort of sporadically seeing these crossover teams. I think the last crossover team is probably what Keith and Whitney. Oh, actually, I don't know if I should say those names uh, on the podcast. Back in uh, back Who? in season twenty five, yes. yeah, exactly. Uh, just bleep those names okay. out. Uh, back in season twenty five, but maybe after a crossover team finally succeeded, uh, and especially you know, assuming that they brought over some of their fans to watch. I know that a lot of Big Brother fans sure. said that they're watching the Amazing Race for the first time, or they got back into the Amazing Race. Because of Jessica and Cody, uh, even though I don't know if they're the exact, the exact like overwhelming contributors to the to the great ratings overall, I do wonder if they might be looking to casting to say, okay, let's bring in bigger names, and maybe that will include some, you know, some reality stars in there as well. Great. Well, let's give our friends over at CBS Casting some ideas on the crossover teams that they should be calling for the Amazing Race. <laughs> 31 okay so uh jess or mike do you guys want to jump in with some suggestions that we would green light for the amazing race 31 Ooh, give me uh brandy glanville and james maslow <laughs> <laughs> but they wouldn't want to do it together I, I feel like that the celebrity big brother pairing uh you know that would make sense you know you have uh, brandy and ari i feel like that that would be fun but i think that the one that's emerged is uh Shannon Elizabeth and Meta World Peace. Do you think Meta I would World watch Peace that. is going to be making it out of the cab that leads to the airport? No. He's going to say, no, just take me back to my wife, please. <laughs> he loves Shannon so much. He wants to hang out with her. And Shannon is a world traveler. She has a you know built-in fan base. The Big Brother Superfans love Shannon. Who knows? Shannon and Meta World Peace. I don't know. Maybe Shannon will finally win, much like Meta cheered her on to after he was evicted in, from the house. Yeah, that would be great. Who are you rooting for to win this? I love Shannon. First, I love Shannon no, so much. Out of everyone who's left in the game. Uh, what about Survivor? Is there anybody off of Survivor 35, Jess, that you could think of that would be good to uh, bring back for The Amazing Race? Well, I think... The, the, I think the logical answer to go to here is you always go to the showman's showman's. Um, so oh. I think we'd see Jessica and Cole on there. I, I think would be a natural fit, but I would more want to see Chrissy and Ryan. Chrissy. And mm. Ryan. Interesting. Or Lauren I and thought, Ben. I, I thought they would go for the, the team that has already branded their own hashtag. I think they would go for the coconut. How about the coconuts. Uh, that could be fun. Dr. Mike and Joe on the amazing race. I'm not sure I'd be down for that. I think I've had enough joke. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then uh, just uh, just going to roll it back a little bit further. Uh, that is there anybody from 
the game changers or millennials versus Gen X that we may want to take a look at? Uh, I feel like Sari and Michaela would be a really fun team. Sari and Michaela, that'd be fun uh, to see Sari. Maybe she comes back and uh, it's really that Survivor wasn't her game. It's the amazing race that ultimately gets her the win. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, much like Boston Rob figured out that amazing race wasn't his game necessarily, that he came back to win Survivor. So maybe maybe it's like, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone in a way and she comes back for a fifth time and wins Survivor. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of, of other... I mean, I don't know. Taylor and Figgy would be. They sometimes bring on pairs of exes, but I feel like that, I, I think that ship has sailed. Baggage. Mike. I think. Yeah, <laughs> very, it's 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 it sailed much like the one that hit Evan in the face. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see. Maybe there will be a team that will emerge from Survivor 36 that we'll see uh, whenever Amazing Race 31 uh, goes into production. But I thought, look, if if they do something along the lines of what they did this past year where they it started production like, you know, it was only a few days after Big Brother ended. Maybe there are uh, is a Big Brother 20 pair that ultimately ends up uh, going on to uh, be on the show. So we'll, we'll see, you know, you, you know where to find all of the breaking reality TV news. And uh, speaking of team big brother back in my day, team big brother used to mean Brendan and Rachel. They will be our guests. When we talk about celebrity, big brother this Friday night live after a double eviction, as we close in on the end of celebrity, big brother come Sunday night. Are you going to get some takes uh, on The Amazing Race while you're at it? Uh, We will ask. We'll ask. Honestly, off the top of my head, I don't know uh, if they are uh, pro-Jessica. I don't think they're anti-Jessica Cody. I believe I saw Rachel tweet something about how she was rooting for Jessica and Cody before last night's finale. So I just have a hunch that they wanted to sort of bring home a win for the BB family when they unfortunately were not able to. Yeah. Uh, we'll get the real scoop if they really are like, yeah, 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 just go to, but I mean, for, for real, we're the best team, big brother. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see what, what they have to say about that. Uh, we'll also, uh, talk some celebrity big brother as well. Exit interviews are up. Uh, Jess, are you ready to get back to talking about, uh, the walking dead proper? Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. I mean, we left it off in a pretty dark place and I want to see how they resolve that. Yeah, so uh, we will uh, check that all out. We've got that coming up. Uh, We'll get to that on Monday night after we get through all of the Big Brother festivities. Uh, Mike, I know that in addition to your Amazing Race exit interviews, uh, you've got some uh, Big Brother exit press coming up as well. Yes, I will be doing exit interviews for all seven celebrities that are left in the house, including uh, the, the final five that go into the finale. So, It'll be a very busy few days, but definitely a labor of love. And, you know, with Survivor coming back as well next week, I'll also keep doing the press for that with the exit interviews, as well as uh, doing the RHAP BNB, which will be recording a preseason podcast, uh, talking about a little bit about the preseason and our own predictions. Myself, Liana Boris, and our head writer, Paul Oselson, will be joining us there. In addition to all the other random things I do between Survivor historians, the Top Chef coverage, the Drag Race coverage, I'm sure some other random things will be thrown in there but uh thank you guys for you know allowing me to sort of ride sidecar uh over the course of this podcast i've had so much fun getting to talk about this season with the two of you yeah well it was a uh, a fun ride it was a uh, quick ride really only like over the course of seven weeks we talked about uh so much uh, amazing race jess uh could you give me some odds what are the chances that mike is going to have an interview with omarosa in the next couple of days um 
I think they're pretty good. I think Omarosa is going to be a good sport about these exit interviews. What do you think, Mike? Are, are you preparing Oni questions at this hour? Uh, yes, uh, I, I'm going to, you know, and that's to imply she's going the- out for the double eviction or anything like that. I'm just saying that, uh, oh, no, you know, I'll, everybody's I'll, like going said, out. I'll be, talk- I'll be talking with everybody. So I'll be talking with her at some point in the next several days. But, you know, I said this when I was able to appear on the Monday podcast that I feel like Omarosa has been through the goofiest, chintziest stuff that Big Brother has to offer. I think getting evicted and doing exit interviews, I feel like it's a drop at the bucket at this point. Okay, I hope so. I hope I hope she does them. She didn't do any interviews going into the house. Hopefully she does them coming out. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. I mean, at least I need to get some more, uh, some more gossip. Uh, hopefully she didn't yes. use all them up between all the interstitials that we see on Celebrity Big Brother episodes. Yes, we have a lot of questions that we need to know. All right. So uh, thank you guys so much for checking out all of our amazing race coverage, of course. Uh, just well, what's the schedule for the Amazing Race Canada? Do we know that yet? Um, we don't know that yet, but it's usually sometime around um, early July is when it drops. So right around to coincide with Canada Day is when we usually get those. Okay, stay tuned for that. Follow Jessica Lee on Twitter. She's Haymaker Hattie. She will have all of that information. Mike is a Mike Bloom type. I am at Rob Sister. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> 